0: Good afternoon, everybody. Um, Thanks very much for uh, turning out again. Um, To those of you who were at the conference, welcome back to uh, New Faces. A very warm welcome to today's event. Um, It's a rather strange day uh, for me as a journalist today because um, there's something going on down in Westminster, um, which has been quite fun to be watching during the day. Um, And it's been one of those days when, as I say, as a journalist, you sort of get a little itch. Um, to be back in a newsroom, Um, but um, I've been content with watching it. But I can announce that there has been a peaceful transition of power, (laughs) um, regime change, that um, Gordon Brown is now in number 10, and uh, that's quite relevant to us, really. Um, I say thanks very much for everyone um, for turning up today. Uh, The conference was, uh, by my Opinion, Anyway, a great success, and I want to thank again uh, the people who contributed to that, who were, of course, DFID, BBC World Service Trust, PANOS, uh, the Communication for Social Change Consortium, UNESCO, Concern, and the Open University. It was uh, truly a collective effort. Um, We're going to try and avoid what the BBC does and put out too many repeats. Um, The idea, the format today, is that... In a moment, we're going to hear from, well, me. Um, Then we're going to hear from Eric Chinjo from uh, African Bank for Development, who's going to talk about what the Africa Media Initiative thinks about our deliberations, but more importantly, what AMI is going to do henceforward and how he thinks that we should be uh, moving forward. Then we're going to throw it open to you, really. Uh, There'll be a chance for you to debate the issues and to hear uh, and to Question and put points to the panel who are made up of the uh, people who so kindly chaired the the sessions that we had at the conference and who helped write the uh, sections of the report. Um, I very much hope that we can talk about the problems raised by the report. Feel free to criticise or even praise the report, but we're really interested in, in where it goes. What are the realities of media for development in the near future? What are the gaps in provision? and what are the successes that we should be promoting. Um, As I say, today, here in London, there's been a change of uh, political leadership, but there's every indication that the commitment to making poverty history, which was demonstrated by the former Prime Minister, Tony Blair, will be taken up by Gordon Brown. He has both a personal and political commitment to Africa, and to supporting development and good governance across the continent. Our task as uh, journalists, as academics and media for development practitioners is to make sure that the news media is central to that endeavour. As Eric said at the conference in March, we are on the eve of something big in Africa. There is tremendous media potential um, there that is, is stirring. There's a genuine appetite among donors in the West as well, to foster African media. But I'm still not convinced personally that they prioritise it enough. And I believe that's because we've not won the argument. Um, We've not won the argument entirely because we're still not clear about the benefits, nor are we, I would suggest, ambitious enough in our sense of what the media can achieve Often we've not been rigorous enough in our intellectual approach and we've not been organised enough in our practical efforts to coordinate and measure our efforts. In the last year there have been outstanding attempts to do just that. The African Media Development Initiative report, the Strengthening African Media process and the Media Matters report from the Global Forum for Media Development are examples The Polish report was our attempt to keep that debate going. DFID, of course, has published its white paper and is beginning to expand its programme of activity with enhanced funding. In a sense, it's now over to you to deliver. As our report of the conference made clear, Africans are saying that their journalists face huge ethical and practical problems. Training has been ineffective. Donors are uncoordinated. The private sector has been unreliable, and governments continue to limit a free media. As Paul Mitchell told us, um, Paul from the World Bank said that despite reforms, media markets still need better legislative frameworks and better market investment, especially in new technology. And as Professor Faxon-Bander also said at the conference, um, thinking about African media is still often conceptually stuck in the past, and Amadou Matabar of the All Africa Global Media told us that we need to pay much more attention to the sheer diversity of African media. As I say, after Eric gives his presentation, I'm going to open up the floor and let you ask questions to some of the people who contributed to the report, the people sitting uh, here on this panel. Mark Wilson um, from Panos, in his session, he looked at the relationship between the media and the powerful financial donor and governmental institutions. Mark's session highlighted the need to foster the political will among African governments to commit to the media as a public good and support it through public service legislation and open, independent regulation. Western and African governments and donor organisations mustn't let their own political agendas be a barrier to this. They have to have the courage to make themselves transparent and accountable. And they have to realise that ultimately fostering debate in the media around their policies will be to their benefit. Uh, James, James Dean, uh, he, in his session he focused in on the Millennium Development Goals. and The main, main themes that emerged from that session was the need to clear, clearly separate, on the one hand, the use of the media by governments and international institutions to do their own bidding, and on the other hand, the building of these in, in these institutions or by these institutions of a vibrant and pluralistic public sphere through which the media can debate and critique those policies. To date, debates around media development have been confused because of the conflation of these two separate strands of the media's role. Uh, in Gerald uh, Milwood Oliver's session, he was looking at the role of new technology, and in fact, what emerged was uh, a feeling that it can be overstated. Given the ongoing predominance of forms of old media, it was decided that rather than talking about a transition from old media to new media, we should consider how the media as a whole can be used to foster citizen empowerment as part of a development and good governance. Where newer technologies are introduced, people need to be better educated about how they can be used for maximum benefit. Uh, And this is an area that I feel there's a particular lack of research. Anna De Silva from the World Service Trust, she unfortunately can't be with us today, but her, her session on fragile states was in many ways um, one of the most um, sort of feisty and, and the most difficult issues that it had to deal with. But it raised very interesting questions about how media development is best in, uh, implemented when the risks are magnified and the choices that journalists make are often literally a matter of life and death. And the debates there focused around appropriate levels of regulation, what development priorities should be, journalistic training or legislation, for example, given the limited resources and how to maximise local ownership of me- media development processes in those countries. The Polish contribution to this debate is to suggest that uh, we must keep journalism at the heart of this debate. Globally, journalism is changing, and in Africa, journalism is changing. Because of social, political and technological developments, the process of journalism itself is changing. I use the phrase network journalism because I believe it helps us to understand how the news media will become less hierarchical, less rigidly structured and more porous to public involvement. I believe this offers opportunities for both journalists and the public in Africa to improve the way that the news media contributes to civil society and to economic development. We don't understand yet how this will work, but we must pay more attention to the possible models and potential markets that don't exist right now alongside the models and the markets that are already there. And we must always do it with a sense of the political nature of the news media. As the media changes the necessity for African ownership of the process and the way that Africans can forge the future of journalism is all the more vital. This report is not a detailed policy document, it's a series of arguments. Polis is committed to staying engaged with this debate, and when the Media for Development Masters course starts in 2008, we'll have an additional international research capacity to supplement the work already being done in the Media and Communications Department and other LSE units such as DESTIN. We remain very open to suggestions for partnership with other players in the field or for further activities. I uh, welcome your response. I look forward to your response to this report and uh, to the conference. But what I and uh, my colleagues really want to hear is what you're going to do next. So thanks very much for coming. Um, and I'd like to hand over now to Eric Chinje, who's going to talk about the future of AMI. Thanks very much.
1: going to do something I'm not used to doing, which is reading speeches. I uh, often like to speak off the cuff. Um, but I've got to read this because um, I wrote a lot of very nice things about this report, you know, and Charles wants to hear them, so you don't mind my reading them, do you? Uh, I'm just kidding. Um, I want to thank uh, uh, Charles and Laura for again bringing me here and giving me this opportunity to... Um, have an exchange with you about uh, something I feel very passionate about, which is the, um, uh, the media in Africa and what its potential for transforming the continent is. Uh, there's someone in the room who shares that passion with me, and he actually brought me here uh, in his car, and he kept, uh, you know, he's been telling me ever since I came in last night, Eric, we've got to get this right, because if we do, it would be the most important thing that can happen to Africa in this century. Uh, that's Mr. George Thomasi who's sitting somewhere in the room. Um, and I, you know, I, um, every time he said it, I acted, you know, kind of blasé about it. I, uh, but I, I, I agree with him completely. And, George, I want you to know that if you're in the room, you know, I totally agree with that. Because if we can get the media in Africa doing what it should do, we could seriously... Um, Revolutionize the continent, um, and I say this with some knowledge of uh, what it takes to um, to to bring a, you know to introduce a revolution. I uh, joined the African Development Bank um, three years ago, and at the time, everybody was complaining about this institution that is supposed to be sorry about that uh, that's supposed to be Africa's premier development institution, and nobody knew about it. And then, of course, you know, uh, we come in, myself and a team of guys, and we get the word out. You know, we engage the media. We, you know, get people talking about uh, the African Development Bank. And, you know, um, before long, we had the Financial Times coming to Tunis to do, you know, to do a series of reports, CNN doing a series of reports. And all of a sudden, everybody was saying, you guys have revolutionized the bank. The only revolution that took place was we communicated You know, we got the media involved. And I think we can do the same for Africa. Now, let me uh, go to my speech so that I can talk about this report and all the nice things about it. But seriously, I think it's a great report, and I told Laura that. Um, I I liked it in paper form, and I like it even better in in printed form. Um, uh, The report, I think has very clearly set the, uh, the, the parameters of the debate we should have on what the media should do in, um, uh, you know, in kind of generating and sustaining a debate on all the range of issues that we're dealing with on the continent in Africa today, which is, you know, the social, the political, the economic issues, and how these, and these same issues that determine outcomes on the continent. You know, right now, um, I don't know if some of you have been following um, the news in... In Africa, Uh, what's happening right now? But there's um, there's uh, this venerable gentleman called Mr. Muammar Gaddafi. Uh, Is there anybody who doesn't know who Gaddafi is? You never never know. Uh, But Mr. Gaddafi has been talking about a union government in uh, in Africa. And, of course, everybody dismisses it. Because, you know, he's talked about a union government for the Maghreb including uh, Libya, Algeria, Egypt and so on and that didn't pan out then he talked about a union government for the Arab countries of the Middle East that didn't work out either and he's turned his uh, focus on Africa especially sub-Saharan Africa and he's putting in a lot of resources Um, over the last month I think virtually every African leader who's serious about the future of the continent, I think, has made a pilgrimage to Sét, is the uh, is what Gaddafi has his tent, and, and all those uh, uh, young women who guard him. Uh, and then, in the last week or so, he's been on the road, and he's gone to, you know, he's been to Mali and. Um, Sierra Leone and Cote d'Ivoire, all these crisis countries, you know, uh, Guinea and so on. <coughs> and so, you know, I'm sitting in Tunis and looking at all of these, you know, reading the news dispatches and so on, and wondering why in the world, you know, why is this guy putting in so much money? But then, and everybody dismisses it; nobody think, takes it very seriously. But the fact is. We are now all talking about those things that African states can do together. Thanks to this, we can take on China together. We can take on the World Trade Organization together. We can present a united front in our foreign policies. We can look at defense policies You know, from a common perspective, we can deal with the conflict issues of the continent, and so on and so forth. So, whilst this pipe dream of uh, continental government would remain that for maybe decades, centuries, a pipe dream, the notion of these countries coming together under any kind of authorizing um, uh, uh, structure that, put, that has them thinking together would give us in the media the possibility of looking at those things uh, from that single perspective of uh, Africa, of Africa as we see it, which is something that's not happened yet. So I think there's, um, there's some merit to it. Um, uh, that's one of the challenges we face on the continent, the ability to to, to discuss our problems, to look at those problems from us uh, from, from the same perspective, because the problems are the same and the solutions probably will will be the same in a lot of areas, um, but again uh, we 'll see what the future holds now, to come back to to, to my subject, <coughs> we believe Georgia and I believe and those of us involved in this um, uh, uh, initiative believe that uh, if we can you know if we can get the media to see the common issues that confront the continent. You know, we're now dealing with China, and there's no single um, news organization on the continent that has looked, that has tried to evolve a continental response to the Chinese threat or opportunity. And yet, if that doesn't happen, I think we'd we'll find ourselves down the road wondering why we didn't do certain things right. And governments aren't going to do it, universities aren't going to do it, civil society isn't going to do it. I think the only, the only people who can do it and get everybody around that same uh, table uh, discussing the issue would be the media. Now, um, I have carefully gone through this report. And um, the one thing that, the first thing that struck me when I, when I read it was the, um, um, those objectives that were set for the conference in March, and were articulated so well by uh, Miles uh, um, by Miles uh, Weekstead I don't know if you remember the the objectives but there were were four and I found them very interesting the first was uh, moving toward a common agenda and language in the development dialogue that's exactly what I've been saying there are too many voices articulating too many things and no sense of common approach, no sense of what really makes sense on the ground. you know, And so that was one of the critical objectives which was um, established in March. The second was presenting a more balanced picture of Africa. Um, someone asked me if I've ever read a, a paper uh, in one of the major global newspapers, you know, the Financial Times or the New York Times and so on. If I've ever read a paper that I found, you know, no, no, the question was, which of these news organizations do you think best reflect Africa's story? Um, And, you know, it was francophone so he asked me if I didn't think Le Monde was, you know, the best of them. And I said, well, uh, my answer was um, it is You know, no single paper has consistently done that job. The New York Times was fantastic at one time, but that was because there was a great guy called Howard French. The the FT did a fantastic job at one time, and that was because there was a guy called David White, and so on and so forth. You know, Le Monde did the same thing. There was a lady there called uh, uh, Miss Carola. (coughs) But none of these news organizations has had has consistently stayed with the Africa story, given it perspective, brought balance to it, and so on. So this second topic caught my attention, you know, promoting a uh, more balanced picture of Africa. The third objective that was set in March was promoting good governance at various stages of state development. Again, it's in the report. And it couldn't be better, you know, better said. We tend to, of course, look at the continent as one um, homogeneous uh, uh, state, and of course it isn't. You know, the story of Sierra Leone is so different from the story of my own country, Cameroon. Um, and that one is so different from, the, from Nigeria, which is next door. And Nigeria is so different from Uganda's, you know. So there, there are many Africa stories. Uh, true enough, there are a lot of elements that are common in that story. You know, uh, um, the approach of China to these countries is the same. You know, where are those natural resources? So the responses of those countries ought to be the same, too. The approach when the World Bank came to Africa many years ago with structural adjustment was the same set of packages emerging from the Washington consensus. You know, we ought to also have had an Africa approach to that. So, yes, um, there are many Africa stories. They should be told but I think also there are some commonalities. And that was the objective, the third objective of the conference in March, you know, um, as, um, as Mr. Wickstead said. The fourth was using new information technologies to improve access to information. I think there was a wonderful um, uh, discussion in March for those who weren't um, uh, there on the on this subject, and uh, it's uh, very well reflected in the report. So. You know, um, I suggest very strongly, you know, that you go back to that report. Charles, um, underscored the importance of, uh, uh, oh, Charles, Mr. Beckett, please. Uh, Reflect, you know, I I, I have spent the last many years in in the U.S. and I tend to go with first names, Charles, so bear with me. (laughs) Mr. Beckett then underscored the importance of research, which he said um, would spark ideas and inspire action. That really is what it's all about, really. That's really what it's all about. And um, we have uh, just realized that um, in, you know, I'm going to be talking about the African Media Initiative. You know, the the research that went into, into, uh, that ultimately led to the uh, creation of this, uh, the establishment of this initiative, if you like, brought out so much that we didn't know. Brought out a whole lot that we didn't know about the uh, about media in Africa, um, and uh, you know uh, I'm not qualified to talk about all of that because there's a fantastic report on the BBC World Service Trust site. You may want to go uh, to that to take a look. And I think Steve, Stephen is here, Stephen King, who did it. You you need to go take a look at that report. You know, for those who are really interested in understanding what's going on in Africa, I I was amazed about. The, you know, the very detailed report that was done of, uh, of my own country, which was one of the 17 focus countries um, of that research. So yes, this, um, this you know, research can actually spark ideas and, and inspire action uh, with regard to media and with regard to development. Uh, during the um, conference in March, we discussed an important range of topics that preoccupy media owners and professionals, uh, development planners, civil society leaders, and policymakers in and outside Africa. We looked at the issue of public accountability and um, what it will take to have the media in Africa hold governments and uh, donors and business men and women to account. Um, You can tell I'm reading. If you feel bored, you know, just uh, let me know. Put up your hand if you feel bored and I'll stop. Um, The international community set itself a date, 2015, to mark progress in what may be the most critical endeavor in this first half of our century beating back poverty. The question was asked and suggestions made on how the media could help all the actors involved to better understand the challenge of meeting the millennium development goals, because uh, the international community decided that if we could meet those goals, we would effectively begin addressing poverty in Africa and in other developing countries of the world. Um, <coughs> so some very interesting issues were examined and questions were asked. Do governments in fragile states contribute to the weakness? Boom. I, I think I just missed my, uh, I need my glasses. Sorry about that. I was reading another paragraph. Um, another important subject here, yeah, and I was onto that already, another important subject is, uh, and this one is topical and very engaging, again I'm talking about the report, was the place of media in fragile states. The problems of media in states coming out of conflict or about to get into one are peculiar and different. Very interesting issues were examined and questions were asked, do governments in fragile states contribute to the weakness or the uh, fragility of local media? What are the responsibilities of journalists in weak states? Also in the report, there was the one question um, that both held promise and continues to dash hopes and and expectations in Africa, and that is about the digital revolution. Can it enhance media's role in improving governance and development? The March conference report is becoming a document of reference, and that's from my perspective. you know, uh, I find myself constantly going back to it uh, since they sent me the uh, the uh, PDF version uh, some months ago, because um, I think it summarizes the, the the challenges that face those who are involved in um, in 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 development in general, but especially people like me who um, are trying to address. The question of media development and the media's role in development. Now, um, from what I am doing and others uh, with me are, are trying to give uh, form to uh, this, uh, to, to an initiative called the Africa Media Initiative. Um, when I spoke here the last time in March, it was actually called. Um, um, the Strengthening African Media Initiative, S-A-M-I, SAMI. And then we, uh, uh, the steering committee of this group met in Shanghai and um, one of the members who's a lady said, you know, um, you guys, um, I, uh, I'll never go out with a man called SAMI. Sorry if there's a SAMI in the room. But some lady said that. And uh, so we said, you know, I mean, of course we're curious, why do you say that? And he says, well, I don't like this name, she said. And in a moment of inspiration, I said, well, why don't we take out the S? So we got AMI, A-M-I, for those who speak French. C'est quoi, AMI? Friend, yeah, beautiful. Um, so we we ended up with the African Media Initiative, and that's what it is now. Um, the um, My assistant said to Make sure to tell you that uh, this meeting in Shanghai was held on the sidelines of the, of the uh, uh, annual meetings of the African Development Bank. So I've put my pitch for my institution. African Development Bank. We're based in Tunis, the headquarters. Um, you, for those who don't know about this initiative, it actually it all really started with the uh, publication of the report, Our Common Interest. Uh, and I brought a copy of it. If you haven't seen this, it's, uh, this is what came out of what was at one time the Blair Commission and eventually became the, uh, the Commission for Africa and they published this report, Our Common Interest, which recommended um, the creation of an African media facility um, to support the development of media and enable Media in Africa to contribute to improving governance and development. Now, <coughs> after this report came out, um, DFID, and I think we need to give, you know, DFID uh, a nod here, a- along with uh, a few other donors. But uh, DFID was, Diffid is the uh, Department for International uh, uh, for International Development. Um, the only reason I say this is I'm sure you're used to I don't know if you've um, uh, uh, there's, uh, there's, um, there's a stand-up comedian in the United States Mr. Jay Leno You know, He usually would take his camera out To the streets of America and say Who's the vice president of this country again? And nobody would know So I had to tell you what DFID it is Because I didn't want to ask you if you knew what it was So it's the Department for International Development And they've been uh, The lead uh, Agency in trying to move the recommendations of this report to where we are today. Um, And uh, so DFID funded, DFID and the others, funded uh, this vast research into media in Africa um, through two agencies, the BBC World Service Trust on the one hand, and they led a process called the African Media Development Initiative. And the uh, Economic Commission for Africa, which is a UN body, the United Nations Economic Commission for Africa, which led another process called the STREAM process, the Strengthening Africa Media Initiative. Um, and um, uh, they did a lot of very detailed work. We've got a fantastic body of. Uh, of uh, data information on the media, which is uh, what is the basis now of what we are trying to do. You know, uh, a lot of people in in earlier times tried to help the media, but nobody quite knew exactly um, what the problems were and how, if they could be addressed holistically, if they could be addressed in, you know, in piecemeal. But we now know, and we've got the uh, data to back it. So the two processes, came out with fairly consistent fairly consistent uh, recommendations or findings um, <coughs> and um, uh, both noted the you know the fact that there was significant progress in Africa with re- with in matters of policy and freedom of expression they also noted the fact that um, there was media pluralism in Africa that was on the rise um, uh, there was um, New, you know, across the continent, they were establishing new networks and and new forums, bringing together journalists to talk about the the, the issues that concern them. Um, there was also uh, one of the things they found out was the the, the, the increasing tendency to transform public um, uh, broadcasters into, you know, sorry, uh, the state broadcasters into public service broadcasters. So, which is a positive development. Um, But they also found out that the press was under attack in too many countries. Now, both processes identified in in, in our view, they identified four critical issues that, if addressed, could significantly change the face of media in Africa. That's what we are working on. That's what the African Media Initiative is focusing on right now. The first is the legal environment. Uh, legal and regulatory environment, the second uh, was professional standards and professional and ethical standards, which was the second uh, the third had to do with the low level of private investments in media and the unsustainability of funding from public s- from the uh, from donors and foundations and so on, and the fourth had to do with um, content, especially content driven by advertising and the fact that we have no advertising or not enough of it because of the absence of market research. So four critical areas of activity. The first, a more common term, is policy. The second, investments and infrastructure. The third, training, professionalization. And the fourth, research, market analysis. That's what we're focusing on. Now, um <clears throat> so what we're doing now is um, we know what the problems are. We know what the issues are that we need to deal with. What we don't know is how. What should be that next step? How do we bring the private sector into, into the game? How do we generate more coherent support from the donor community? How do we get governments to play ball? How do we get the media training institutions to be a part of the process? So um, Those are the questions we are asking ourselves and what we've decided to do is to put in place a technical committee that will reflect on these things, a technical team that will reflect on these things and come out in the next three months and we've got a very tight timeline on this in the next three months with some really concrete ideas on how to go forward and then we will bring stakeholders some of you would be invited i hope you know would bring a number of stakeholders together to to look at the proposals from the technical team and once those proposals have been approved or endorsed on the kind of mechanism we should have on the kinds of responses we should have to some of these problems, then we intend to um, go on to the next level, which is organize um, a conference of donors and uh, and the private sector and others, kind of a pledging conference, because we're giving ourselves a three to five year timeline to get these issues resolved or dealt with in a significant way. And um, <coughs> my, uh, so that's where we are. And I believe that as um, as I said once, If we get this right, we may see some major movements in media in Africa. If we get it right, we will bring, uh, and if we can bring this holistic approach to dealing with the problems uh, of building capacity, of reassuring businesses, of encouraging political leaders and transforming uh, the teaching of journalism in Africa, which is another major problem. If we can change the nature of the development debate, if we do all these things within the next few years, we will be in a position to enrich the dialogue on development. We will build a constituency for change and reform which does not exist on the continent at this time. We will entrench policies of accountability and we will make the African media a true partner in the development of the continent. And I think that would be the achievement of the century and that's precisely what my friend George was saying when we were coming here. Thank you.
0: Thanks very much, uh, Eric. Um, well, I think um, it's not often you get both, of both main speakers getting up and saying they don't know what happens next. Um, and in a sense, I think Eric has set out there very clearly the agenda um, for AMI, but it's obviously um, an agenda that um, I think um, is commonly accepted. It's just, it's obviously, as Eric says, it's an agenda that um, puts and begs a lot of questions, um, not just questions for discussion, but uh, for action as well. So, really, now it's a chance for uh, you guys to uh, contribute in whichever form you wish You know, if you wish to make statements that's fine if you wish to address um, questions to Eric myself or particular members of the panel please do that as well uh, obviously say who you are and uh, who you represent uh, and we'll take it from there um, would anybody like to kick us off at the back there yeah
2: Hi,
3: my name is Aba Ofon. I'm uh, an Africa economist at Standard Chartered Bank. Um, From your questions addressed to uh, Eric, I just wanted to find out from you, your um, comments seem to um, suggest that China was more of a threat than than an opportunity. Is that the case with regards to Africa?
4: Um,
1: No thanks for the question and I'm glad because you give me a chance to clarify my uh, stand on that. I think, and this is honest, it's not um, uh, an answer from the ADB, it's from Eric Ginger. I think very seriously that China is both a threat and an opportunity. I think it's a fantastic opportunity, actually. Um, <coughs> why do I think that? Because if Africa gets it right, if we can leverage this demand, this demand for resources, uh, mineral resources, if we can, um, um, for for technology transfer and so on, if we can do it, if we can get it right, you know, um, I think uh, we would begin to see something happening on the continent that's not happened before. Uh, To give an example, because the Chinese came into Ethiopia, the cost of building roads in Ethiopia dropped significantly you know, all the other companies that have been there, you know, had obviously uh, been billing Ethiopia out of its resources to build roads. But then, look at the flip side of that problem. That's where the problem is. That's where the threat is. But the opportunity clearly is there. That we can now have, we, we have on offer options which this country, Ethiopia didn't have or Uganda or any of the other countries on the continent. So there are those options. But what response, how prepared are, uh, you know, would, uh, would this not degenerate down the road into just another, you know, um, uh, because they don't look at the governance issues here, you know. Uh, they don't pay a lot of attention to that, which is fine. I mean, if, you know, if, if those prices, if the cost of building roads stays down, uh, it's fine. But how sustainable is that if we don't have in place mechanisms of accountability, so um, I I see it both ways, and um, I was in China recently, and, and you know, and you know, g- granting a lot of interviews, and I kept saying it to the Chinese. I said, well, you know, um, we, the world is watching. You can you can do the same thing and destroy Africa, and you know, well, you, some you know, what you're doing in Darfur, and everybody would complain, or you can do the right thing. It's an opportunity. So I think it's uh, it's both ways, but uh, the challenge is really with the Africans.
2: Yes. Richard, Richard Dowden. Do you want to get up? Um, Okay, thank you. Uh, I'm Richard Dowden, and um, I've been as a, a journalist on working on Africa, I think it's full time since uh, about 19, 1983. Um, and I, I sort of work at the other end, and um, these rather theoretical discussions I find um, quite difficult because I... African journalist friends of mine and, and the, the Africanistas, as we call ourselves, the, the journalists that can, uh, have done Africa and very little else, I mean, they, they see their role purely as reflecting the reality on the ground. Now, there is, because of the way news works, um, and I take a non African example, uh, Bos- uh, Yugoslavia, former Yugoslavia, the bits we know about are Bosnia, Kosovo, Serbia. Croatia because they are the ones that went to war and we don't know about Slovenia which is a very successful little country that spun off Yugoslavia and uh, is doing very nicely for itself. That I'm afraid is the nature of journalism and uh, I'm sorry for that Slovenia doesn't get a great um, press as this great success story but you apply that to Africa and you can see why it has the image that it it does. The other, to switch continents, the other example is just because New Orleans is underwater, we don't all think the whole of America is drowning. Why? Because we have other images of America in our minds. And I think that the problem with Africa coverage is most people don't have any other image of Africa in their minds except what they've seen. And to go back to the nature of journalism, they just have the images of uh, famine, war, disease, and uh, general apparent hopelessness. So I think that is that's the, the, the problem. But I think that the, the journalists that I would work with just say, well, that, they accept that as a um, as a as a, uh, a fact of life, and they they work for. Th- I think there are three types of organisations: the, the, the one where there is a real commercial newspaper or radio station, and their job is to sell newspapers or get people to listen to their radio stations, or you have. An owner who has a very particular point of view is a politician, um, and there you have to <coughs> fit in with that. You also have the pressure, obviously, from the advertisers. In certain areas are no-go areas, or you have pressure from government thugs. You know, you cannot write about the army or about the president's mistress or something like that. Um, but apart from that, you know, their whole way of life is to push against these, push the envelope, try and um, even push their own proprietors to cover the the, the reality and then there are the the, the third type which is the the sort of BBC a a good state run uh, media which is given a lot of freedom or the Aga Khan newspapers in East Africa which do a superb job where you have a rather idealistic owner who just believes in journalism and doesn't put a lot of pressure on his his journalists but those are the contexts of which the, the African journalists I know work in and I I feel I don't have very much to, to teach them. I think they're incredibly courageous. Uh, they maybe would like a bit of training in new technology, but I just think you know our role, as it were, is to, is to salute them, <laughs> to encourage them, and maybe if there's money for, for prizes and things, um, that would be great. But the other thing I think is also that you meet so many very bright uh, young journalists who don't have an opportunity to go to any other country, they're they're based in their own country, and I just you know sometimes think to pick up a Kenyan journalist and take them to Congo, take a Congolese journalist, take them to South Africa, um, and you know show a, 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 and take all Nigerian journalists and just take them into the rest of the continent to persuade them there's more than just Nigeria in Africa. Um, but I, I I my and my my feelings about the Nigerian press, which has always been had this label, a very lively press. Um, in recent years, I thought it had really gone very soft. I mean, uh, so many Nigerian journalists, and this is anecdotal as, you know, most of my stories are, uh, you know, were simply taking brown envelopes or two brown envelopes, one with the, the minister's speech in and another with quite a lot of NARA in it, which you split with the news editor. You write the story, split the, the NARA with the news editor, and it goes in the paper. And so the politicians were, had taken over the press with with money because the journalists were so badly paid. And I I found during the election, which I covered uh, earlier this year, that had largely gone. I, and I, the Nigerian journalists were out there in the front line, writing the reality, doing a fantastic job. And I think that Nigeria's uh, press, its reputation for being lively and independent, was was restored. And that's the sort of press, you know, very very grassroots stuff that I think is really making it uh, African journalism really great at the moment and I, I kind of disagree with this idea one that they ought to be doing lots of education if you want to do development journalism pay for a supplement to go into the newspaper this is education this is not journalism and the second thing is that you know they you know, just do everything they can to reflect the reality on the ground. If you read the reality on the ground, the people themselves, who <coughs> are your readers and listeners, will do the rest.
0: Thanks very much, Jimmy. Do you want to respond to that, Mark? Because <coughs> uh, obviously, in a second, Obviously, in your session, there was a lot of. This was very much the discussion, wasn't it? It was about, never mind the theory, the difficulties in practice of political yeah. journalism.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Were you, were you being hopelessly idealistic? There was. Well, were we being hopelessly idealistic? Well, I mean, our, our, our session covered a lot of areas, uh, but include, uh, including touching on this. I mean, I, I agree with... Uh, uh, with Richard, with with many respects, that there was um, a sense of that indeed the tremendous vibrancy of uh, of African journalism, and uh, and to be really fearful of a patronising sense that you know there's still heaps of media training that's needing to be done with you know with journalists that, um, uh, on the continent, um, which isn't which isn't the case. I mean, I was scribbling as you were, as you were talking because you you highlighted something that that I think is. Um, um, is tiptoed round or, or is a straight disagreement very often, which is, um, you know, are journalists in any way agents of social change? Is their is there responsibility purely to report the news? That's what journalism is, you know, the, the hardened, that's all I do. I, I, I call it as I see it, you know, uh, end of story. Um, and I think that, uh, and then there's those, you know, development guys over here who want you to relay messages uh, and they can pay for it, as, as what you said, the, the supplement... And I do believe there's a a place in the middle uh, which is still really good journalism built on on real stories of of real people um, which very often isn't... um, told in, in African uh, media outlets and there are lots of reasons for that. It's to do with um, journalistic capacity, it's to do with the time and the pressures on individual journalists, um, it's to do with the fact that they're uh, you know, very often um, like, like in, in the north, highly oriented around a, um, an urban uh, or you know, a, elite uh, agenda and I think there's lots that can be done in, in a variety of ways to, to, to open that out and expand, expand that and make greater space uh, for that. And picking up on what what Eric said as well, I mean, he was talking in the first part of his speech about uh, the, the continental approaches, um, I think there's an awful lot that can be done at the grassroots level. I mean, we, we, we didn't talk enough during our conference about um, how we build and sustain uh, community radio and, and, and so on, but but the, the emphasis on regulation, for instance, is a crucial, is a crucial part of that. Um, you know, where governments um, aren't using uh, media regulation to essentially... Uh, fundraise through through high price licenses that nobody can afford either at the commercial or the, or the community level and um, there 's something that you know that can be done there supporting them and also encouraging them and, and, and you know, that 's what can be done by by those in the north uh, by media organizations working with donors and so on so there 's there's enormous complexity and, and enormous diversity, and I think, um, uh, you know, to pick up one, what you said, the, the approach certainly from, from Panos is not, you know, here we are and we need to extend the hand and so on. I think it's building on what is a vibrant environment across across the continent, and there's huge numbers of things that can be done in ways that, that do build sustainability and and do build a, an economic basis for media, because I think this is what we need to we really need to stress. And build from, and and to that extent, I'm glad Eric did stress that because you get so many development people in a room, and we, you know, we start talking about DFID and, you know, and and funders and and all the rest, and our own work, Um, and and that's not where it's going to really begin and end, uh, as far as I'm concerned. Did you want
1: to? Yeah, just a quick comment. Uh, No, I, um, you know, grateful for the uh, remarks from Richard. Actually, if I knew you were in the room, I'd have probably said a few things differently because um, <laughs> Richard is one of the you know, great Africanist writers you know, that I've known for a long time. Let me say this. Um, the, uh, you know, the media does not make news. I, actually, I just wrote a paper which we, we're trying to get to the African uh, Union Summit. They'll be meeting in a few days in Ghana. And uh, we wrote a paper on the, the cost to Africa of its negative image. Um, And the point we we make is the news that's reported about Africa is what's happening it's real but we do not forget the fact that there are editorial choices there are editorial choices in the newsrooms of the Financial Times of the New York Times of the Le Monde and so on so you know there's, there's there's a balance that should be sought somewhere and I mentioned those journalists who, who who bring perspective to the Africa story and there's no question about it there's some great journalists who bring perspective to that story and that's what we need it's not like don't say what's happening uh, you know give give Africa an, uh, an image that it does not deserve no tell the story as it is but bring it, uh, give it perspective now when um when you when you and I just want to address the point you made about some great journalists out there, you know, I was one of them and I hope, you know, I left my country 20 years ago and, uh, you know, I, I i think I did things that few people, you know, there are some Cameroonians in the room who would remember. Yes, and I think there are lots of great journalists in, in, in Africa. Uh, but the point is, when a country group goes from two main newspapers to 34 in a few weeks, now who do you think is Who do you think comes into into the sector, into the media sector? A lot of untrained people. They do a lot of dangerous things. And that's the reality in a lot of African countries. There are 40 countries at least that have seen this exponential growth in media. And it is those we are talking about. We need to work with them. And when I think training, I'm not thinking necessarily formal training in some institutions. I'm thinking training in... In in uh, you know in some of the good media houses in Africa like Suite Communication like the Daily Nation in Kenya like you know and so on so it can be done on the continent itself. Um, I also um, want to you know since we talked about Nigeria you know I ran a training program in Nigeria a few um, um, in 2002 just prior to the elections. And you know before going to Nigeria I had asked um, a media research Body in Ibadan to do a content analysis of Nigerian media two years prior to that, and in its report, it came out with the ten most covered or most mentioned issues in Nigeria. Now, when I met with a hundred Nigerian journalists, one hundred and three or four of them, I asked them to tell me what the ten issues were that people were most concerned about in the country, and they gave me. We agreed that group agreed on the ten most critical issues shelter, infrastructure power, food and so on only one of those ten made it to the the main list one one of the issues Nigerian journalists amongst themselves agreed are the critical issues facing the country, only one made it to the list of what is most reported in Nigerian media when someone else did a content analysis and when I asked them why this dichotomy and they said well you know we're paid to do some of the things we do. So there's a problem there also. So, what we are trying to address in the, in the current initiative, as I say, the research has pointed to these things. There are areas where it's a policy problem, it's not in all countries. There are areas where it's a training problem, it's not in all countries. There are areas where you have all of the above. And that's what, we're talk- that's what we're trying to address.
0: Okay. I'm going to try and take a few questions in a little group, if that's possible. So, start with the lady in the white at the beginning
5: thanks very much it's not really a question it's more of a a comment Um, Sally Ann Wilson from the Commonwealth Broadcasting Association different broadcast media scheme Um, I think what's important is to recognise that so often from need comes opportunity and one initiative that I'm very aware of and have been involved in on the margins in, in Africa that isn't reported widely um, at meetings like this is the African Broadcast Media Partnership which is where in the last 18 months 50 plus I think now of the African broadcasters some public, some private have all actually come together of their own volition um, slowly the Nigerians have come to the table with the South Africans with the East Africans which in the CBA's experience is quite rare to actually use the situation that AIDS has created to cooperate. And even within that 18 months, management have been sort of led by the creatives to realize that this opportunity to cover AIDS in a a pan-African way and pool resources and compete and entertain their audience on a very difficult topic, keep them engaged against the digital giants that that are broadcasting into Africa, has created an opportunity for other areas of cooperation, uh, linguistically, cross-border, radio and TV, and I think we should acknowledge that, because it, it doesn't always get acknowledged from the north what's organically happening within broad- broadcasting in Africa. Thank thanks, you.
0: Thanks very much. Um, there's the lady at the back there in red, please. Can I ask a question?
4: Uh, yeah, I Ma- have a scene. Okay.
6: Marilyn Comrie, LeaderGen, we specialise in leadership development and media training. I really just wanted to, I've got a question to ask, but really back up something that Eric said about the fact that I I stand really as somebody who worked for the BBC for 20 years as a series producer and a journalist. And it is this thing about what is newsworthy. And I think too often in the media it's about negativity and it is negative stories. And, you know, we're seeing uh, the ramifications of that in this country by the fact that we tend to focus on negative stories about young people, whereas there are young people who are doing fantastic things every day of the the year. But, you know, news organizations decide that that is not newsworthy. And it's exactly about a balance, and it's actually understanding how the media create the world and the reality we live in. So we create, the media creates this climate of fear, whereas actually the reality of crime and it actually happened to you, a completely out of proportion. So it is actually about media, um, people working in the media, are actually having some kind of corporate social responsibility to actually introduce balance into what they're doing and not to only think that something negative is newsworthy and something that's positive isn't. Because honestly, to try and get a media organisation to report a good news story about somebody who's making a difference, very low level of, uh, of interest. But really, what I wanted to find out from Eric is really, you, you talked about the fact that training hadn't worked. Is that what you said? Did I hear you right? In terms of Africa, the Africa situation, that training hadn't had the kind of impact that you were looking at. And I just really wanted to find out has anybody worked out what were the factors so, so that the lessons can be learned so going on into the future? You can actually have training that is much more bespoke. To the situation of Africa because I don't know if the factor is it's about using trying to transpose Western models into an African context
0: hold that thought Eric um, let's take a couple more questions uh, um, and the Ga- yeah. then I'll get for training yeah. Mark she Galloway not from the International
2: so
4: Broadcasting Trust um, I, I just want to return us to one of the key objectives of the conference which was um, greater cohesion between media and development
0: communities. And I'm interested to hear from Eric um, whether that's an issue for AMI and if it is, how you're going to tackle that. We've obviously got a big
2: development community that is beginning to think about the role that the media plays in development but needs information, needs to be
4: engaged and part of this conversation and what concerns me
0: is that that's something that's not really happening we started it off at the conference beforehand but I'd like to hear how that looks from Annie's perspective that is, a very good, that is a very good point but before we answer this Janet Yes, I think um, Sorry, Janet Boston
7: from the Thompson Foundation I have to confess that we're a training organisation and we've been working for 45 years in this field and I'm really alarmed by the line that it's nothing more than um, a, a number of podiums, And I feel I should stand up for my colleagues because um, whenever I go to any conference in this country, I don't tend to meet editors from the African media. But what is really striking to me whenever I attend an African conference is how many of those people who were given very basic skills training are now right at the top of their profession. And I just wonder if maybe we haven't applied the kind of skills you'd have applied to development Um, monitoring and evaluation to something like training and media capacity building. I think communication hasn't been seen as development. And for that reason, we haven't really managed to assess it properly. I'm just plugging away on the whole skills thing and training generally. (coughs) I mean, this is not just a problem at the moment for Africa. The media is moving so quickly with this network journalism that everyone is having a problem with training everyone is having a problem with skills capacity building but we need to really apply the, the seriousness of this to Africa and really see how it can be an opportunity because you haven't got people hung up on equipment perhaps in the same way as you've got here the next thing I want to just I've got two more points to make is that although we're focusing on journalism and society and we tend to think of journalism as news what about all the other forms of media the documentaries if you look at the output on SABC, for example, you see some of the best development communication out there. You see the most imaginative HIV, AIDS dramas, you know, where it's woven seamless, seamlessly into a plot far better than it is ever on the arches. And then, <laughs> finally, on this negative imagery, I really think that's a challenge for us, because when you talk to Africans and African broadcasters, they say that, like it or not, the images that are being being back into Africa from the international networks tend to, to stress the negative images, and somehow we do have to redress the balance. Even though I agree um, that news, by its very nature, tends to be hard core.
0: Eric, do you want to just respond on the the organisational point, really? Right. Um, we'll perhaps leave the training one for a second. Oh, but, well, okay. it's up to you if you want to. You, you do what you will, sir. Oh. You know. <laughs> yeah. But I think don't don't forget the organisational. Point because that is a really material point about the politics of this.
1: Yeah, well, maybe Charles, let me just yeah touch touch on the training thing quickly, and then we can come back to that. Uh, Because I think all three questions were really about you know uh, training and uh, various uh, uh, dimensions of the problem. Um, With regard to the first question, I think what I really uh, talked about was donor coordination, or the lack of uh, such coordination. So we've had uh, this a lot of piecemeal interventions that have really not, you know, borne fruit. Um, I'm guilty of that. I, I, I was involved in um, uh, distance training and had close to 2,000 journalists across the continent over a five-year period. And the best ones, those are constantly identified as very good. They ended up leaving the media and ending up in the private sector. You know, so so the, this, 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 there was that problem, and the media could not retain them. Which is why we have the other nature, of the, uh, the other aspects of the problem. We have to deal with the other aspects of the problem to, so they can retain those who are trained or the good ones who are trained. Um, the, uh, the question on media and development is real. I did, I carried out uh, you know, a, a recent uh, piece of research, you know, just you know, analyzing media content over, over uh, through 2006 in all. 53 African countries, and something stark came through. There is a huge gap between what we as the development community are talking about and what the media is reporting.
3: It's a huge gap.
1: And if we don't close that gap, I don't think we're going to get the hearts and minds of the populations in Africa. It's a real problem. And I think uh, we also looked at the training. Um, the, the, curricula, the curricula in training institutions, the media training institutions in Africa. give you an example. I was in Mozambique a few weeks ago, a few months ago, uh, about two months ago. And I had a whole class of, um, the graduating class in, their, in, their, in, the, in the one training school in Maputo. And when I asked them what their thoughts were on the cashew market, cashew nuts, it's a principal product of Mozambique. When I asked these students what they had what, what been taught or how, what, they, what interest they had in the cashew market, nobody seemed to understand what I was talking about. So you're going to have a, a bunch of graduates who would be coming into the media cycle in, in Mozambique and have no clue what to look for in the international market in cashews. That's the irrelevance or the relevance of the, of the training program. So it's, it's real. You know, there's a gap. There's a there's a gap that needs to be closed. And with regard to the, um, I I think, on you know, Janet's question about, I think it's a problem of basic skills really. That's what you know. Uh, uh, as I, I said earlier, there are there, there thousands of young people who've come into the profession, many of them because they don't have jobs. So. They found themselves in media, you know, because some guy had just, you know, they just opened up the sector, and newspapers were were coming, you know. I mean, there there were some newspapers, uh, you know. I suffered from this once when I left the country, and and uh, everybody was curious to know. I used to be editor-in-chief of television in Cameroon, and I left the country for a few weeks, and one of these papers that came just, you know. Invented an interview with me, saying I had been, you know, I, had, I was on exile and blah blah blah, you know. And they sold, and that was the end of it. My sister is here, who just stopped, stepped into the room. She can confirm this, you know. So it's, um, it's this, the. Uh, I think we had too many people coming into the into the sector, and there are too many who are a danger to their societies, and that's what we're talking about. Also, it's not the good ones we're talking.
0: About. Just very quickly on the on the point about um, coordination. The idea that you know what 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 role does AME see in terms of you, you know you were complaining
1: about lack of coordination absolutely sort of that's you know that's at the heart of what we're trying to do we want to put you know we I, I mentioned the technical team looking at all the research all the data and the statistics and all the recommendations that came through the AMD and the stream processes and we're giving them a few months three months I hope to come up with some concrete, actionable ideas that we can take to the entire donor community, that we can take to all the major businesses that are involved in, in Africa and say, look, this is how we intend to resolve this problem. This is what you can do. So we want to be able to identify what people can do, really actionable items, in that, so that everybody can be reading off the same sheet of music, even if they're doing different things. That's where we see the coordination coming in.
0: Okay.
8: you. I'm not sure I'm answering any of the questions, but it's a reflection really on a number of the questions and also on, on what Eric was saying earlier and others were saying earlier. And on, on the conference, I think the great thing about the POLIS meeting was it was a serious attempt not to get a bunch of media people together or a bunch of development people together but a bunch of people from a lot of different different disciplines to come together and talk about um, media, democracy and governance. So that was academics, it was media people, it was development people, it was civil society, it was government. It was a whole different sector of people so we could come and we haven't had very much in the way of that kind of interaction. The byproduct of that kind of interaction is we tend to talk about lots of different things at the same time um, and I still think we have that in the conversation we're having now and in the conversation we were having at the conference. We're talking about media as representing Africa and how um, uh, and, and a whole set of debates about how media can better represent Africa, presumably but media in the West. We're talking about how media can communicate um, uh, development or MDGs or whatever better and and create a better um, image of and create better public political support for for media and we're talking about media as part of democracy and democratic governance and I do want to kind of focus on the last because I think it's absolutely the crux of what we're talking about and I think this is partly in response to what you were saying Richard I, I think what we haven't quite got to is that fundamentally certainly from a development perspective obviously and also from a media perspective what media does matters in how societies organize themselves and how power is represented and claimed. Um, media is, who controls the media? If you have a small number of families or a government or one person controlling the media, this completely shapes um, uh, um, a democratic politics in a country. If you have uh, media which only reaches or reports issues of concern to 10% of society, that matters in terms of how Um, uh, societies organise themselves democratically. If you have public service broadcasting or state-run broadcasting systems which are shutting down language services which are cutting back on transmitter uh, capacity which are not reaching rural areas, that matters. If you have commercial broadcasters which are entirely dominated by an advertising agenda and totally disinterested in the issues of concern to the vast majority of people, that fundamentally matters. Um, These are issues of completely central concern to development policy and to democracy and I think the China issue is quite relevant here. I think China, I think (laughs) This is speaking personally and also having been there relatively recently, I think China is fascinating because it does represent a system of government at the moment which is reasonably responsive, Um, uh, doesn't believe in the free media, doesn't believe in human rights, um, does represent a model of governance which is at odds with the Western model. it's one I completely and fundamentally and vehemently disagree with. I fundamentally believe, but and we need to be explicit about our value systems when we're talking about these issues, I believe in democratic governance. Um, as part of democratic governance, you need a free and open media, not a free and open media which simply operates in the interests of commercial concerns, but a free and open media which is capable of reflecting ver- a, variety, a, a plurality of interests in society. I think we are in, um, involved in a much bigger set of debates here than narrow debates around MDGs or whatever. Well. We're talking about whether democracy works in the context of Africa and we're talking about democracy working in the context of all of us, in fact. So I kind of, I, I think... I think the one thing I kind of reacted against is we're talking about some set of rather abstract theoretical concepts. I don't. I think we're talking about a real set of issues which are completely at the heart of development policy at the moment. And unless we talk better about these issues and and work out how to have better conversations between lots of different um, um, uh, sectors around the role of media and communication in society, we're, we're in deep trouble. And what the, the policy meeting, I think, was really getting at was actually how to have that conversation and the start of that conversation. There's a long, long way to go about it. What the implications for development policy are of the conclusions uh, coming out in this report are, uh, still need a lot of unpicking, I think. But. I, I also think I, Eric, I, I, I agree, and also uh, this, this is a set of conversations which is completely central to how development policy is likely to operate in the, fu- in, um, in the future and now. Um, and I think what we shouldn't be going away with is a feeling that somehow it doesn't matter. I think it completely matters, and we need to get much more organised and, co- and, and, and serious about it. All
0: right, let's try to some more questions. Anybody else questions from the floor? Let's um, take some. Sorry, from the back. Um, let, woman in the middle there.
9: Hello, my name is Robin Hunter and I work for the Africa page of BBC News Online um, I wanted to ask Eric what he, if he and his group are working with the communications industry by that I mean internet providers um, cell phone mobile providers and how you see that relates to bringing development to the people.
0: Okay. Any other questions that we could take a few? Masume, down here.
10: Thank you. Um, uh, My name is Masume Torfe. I'm a former BBC journalist. I worked uh, for a couple of years in Afghanistan uh, on media reconstruction And uh, uh, and now I'm doing research on Afghanistan's media reconstruction and actually exactly the topics that you're addressing, uh, the uh, connection between development and uh, media and the necessity of these issues. And uh, um, two points I wanted to make. One is uh, vis-a-vis the coordination, because I was right involved with coordination of international uh, community help to Afghanistan for reconstruction. And what I saw there lacking was um, a, a clear strategy for media reconstruction, for media work, whatever, whatever it may be. In other words, a lot of the international community was, uh, was doing the same thing. Everybody was interested in training the journalists. Everybody was interested in training the journalists in news. Everybody was interested in doing exactly the same sort of things. And nobody sat together. Everybody was interested in television. Uh, So they wouldn't divide the work and they wouldn't have a plan, an overall strategy, an overall plan from the international community for the whole uh, complete reconstruction. So when three years passes, you have a a completed work. That was one thing. And the second point I want to make is that um, I'm not sure if we involve the local journalists enough in all the debate. For instance, what I felt was missing from uh, what you said, Eric, about the the future work that you want to do uh, and all the debate that uh, includes development, DFID, uh, BBC Trust, and all these people, do we hear the local journalists enough? Because those are the guys who actually feed all of us as journalists, as international journalists. They give us all the information and they would contribute greatly to what you were asking us you know what, what steps next? I think they would be the best people who would know what to do.
0: Okay, let's just keep getting some more responses because this, this is all interesting stuff. Quickly, quickly let's take Miles down here and then I'll come to you. you
4: Thanks very much. Uh, Miles Wickstead, formerly the head of the s- Secretariat for the Commission for Africa. I really just wanted to pick up on the first point, which is about donor coordination uh, and uh, the lack of a a unified response uh, as it were and, uh, and just look at the African end of that a bit because I think there's an interesting parallel with what's going on in the area of science and technology for the moment. Uh, and what's happening there is that actually there's a rather good strategy which has been put forward jointly by the AU and NEPAD it's been discussed uh, within the AU and it's uh, you know, that's an interesting move that you're hoping to have this discussed uh, in the next week or two But the whole thing is foundering at the moment because there is not a unified delivery mechanism within Africa. There's a lack of agreement between the AU and NEPAD and the African Development Bank about precisely how any international support should be channeled. Uh, And so the the, the question I'd be interested in, in Eric's response, is what sort of discussions have been taking place between the AU, NEPAD, the African Development Bank, and the other interested parties to ensure that at that end, as well, uh, there is a kind of consistency and a clear division of, of, of labour.
2: Okay. You.
0: Hold that thought, Eric. Um, this guy in the white jacket,
4: thank you.
11: Yeah, thank you very much. My name is Lokongo uh, from Congo. I'm a journalist from Congo. I've just, I'd just like to ask Eric one question. I'd like to know whether the... The brain drainage that we experience now in Africa whether in the health sector like many nurses coming from Africa, from South Africa and many other countries to the west and uh, also most of these famous footballers in all these European clubs they all come from Africa, whether that's also a big problem in the media because of because of this uh, poverty and uh, bad governance and, and everything that's happening in Africa, and the the cashew nut example you you mentioned in Mozambique is very very important. How do you how do you tend to to change the the framework? Because journalists are only especially in Congo in my own country. Journalists are only repeating what they hear from the BBC, what they hear from RFE, and then they just extrapolate that into details. You have only one quote in the story, but the whole story is just like a preacher because they are repeating from what they heard from the BBC. There is no creativity, no initiative. And then another issue is that Africa is still divided into... uh, English speaking Africa, French speaking Africa, Portuguese speaking Africa. And that is a very big problem in coming with a common perspective, which you mentioned in, in the beginning. And so, from the point of view of all the, the coverage of the news in Africa, is I think it's Western centered, it's Eurocentric, because journalists are only repeating what they hear from Europe, what I said. And because Africa has, has become a charity kit where you can only talk about war, AIDS, and all this, and journalists are only repeating that, forgetting that Africa is poor. Uh, Africa is very rich, but Africa's wealth has been looted for centuries, and that's still going on, so much so that journalists don't even know how the economy of their country works, their cash crop. Journalists in Congo are afraid to talk about, they don't know their history, they don't know how much wealth has left Congo, 500 years since King Leopold up to now. What's happening now, and when you talk about democracy, every media organization here, if you address the issue of Zimbabwe, you get just same story, you get same perspective, Nobody, if you say differently, if you say that Mugabe is a hero, not just in his own country in Zimbabwe, but in South Africa, nobody will believe you. Because the whole Western media have said, oh, Mugabe is a bad guy. And African journalists follow. They just automatically follow that. So we have a big, big problem. We have had. Flag and anthem independence, but we need independence, economic independence, we need media independence, we need independence in all aspects of our lives. We don't want to be a charity kit anymore. We welcome initiative from the British government, from an organization wanting to help us from other parts of the world but they can only help us to be ourselves, to stand on our two feet, whether it's in, the, in the political sense of it, media, or what. That's what's the way forward for Africa. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Um, got time for one more? One, anybody got another question? Just to wrap it all up. Uh, th- sorry, yeah, that one, <laughs> Sheila. Sorry.
12: Hello, my name is Sheila Kulovia. I'm uh, an African journalist from Uganda, and I'm doing my um, MS in Media and Communication here at, uh, at LSC. I thought that I needed to um, give voice uh, to African journalists as well. And uh, I'd like to say that I think there is a big place for development communication um, in Africa. I come from that. Uh, professional background, where we do not just, you know, cover the news uh, because of, you know, the commercial aspects, but we passionately believe in journalism to actually change lives. Uh, I've done stories from a development communication perspective, and I, I have actually seen those, you know, stories bringing change, bringing awareness. I've had the opportunity to also to um, engage with organisations such as Panos um, in um, work uh, about HIV/AIDS, poverty, ICT, and I passionately believe that there is indeed a very big gap in, in development communications, and we need, you know, to try and fill that gap. Not just look at everything from a commercial perspective, but as you know, we deliberate in this conference, we need um, to spell out the priorities. I totally agree uh, with the previous speaker um, observation that we shouldn't take a one-size-fits-all approach, you know, to African media because the situation in Uganda right now is definitely different uh, from Nigeria. I'll share a personal experience. By the time I came to the LSC here um, in September, um, I took study leave from my organization, the New Vision Newspaper, which is partially owned by the government. At that point, at that time, um, the MD of uh, that media organization, a, a British journalist, William Pike, who's very passionate about Africa, who had, you know, steered the paper, headed the paper, you know, and given it voice uh, you know, raised its prominence, you know, as a paper of record, um, uh, was forced out, uh, out of the paper later, no, early this year, as I was here, and, uh, a person who has been in charge of the government propaganda has taken over the running of the paper. Two days ago, the first paper I worked for, a privately-owned, uh, Newspaper, the Monitor newspaper, part of the National Media Group um, company, uh, had a change of guard, and part of the reason uh, why the MD left was because he was uh, in conflict with the government, uh, because he wanted to promote independent journalism, he wanted to speak out for, you know, the rights of, of uh, you know, of media freedom, of uh, to defend journalists right you know rights to to express themselves to present you know the true picture as it were. and uh, that md now has been transferred to nairobi so um i want to stress that we we need to look at you know the priorities do we train journalists you know to report you know perhaps better, but will they be able to report better in an environment that is still very you know restrictive, where the laws have been made but they are not implemented, where journalists are you know forced you know um, in jails where you know journalists actually censor you know themselves they're not able to write you know uh, articles or on issues that they're very passionate about you know do we do you um uh bring people from abroad you know to train these journalists do you you know what are the priorities here i and a couple of people of uh, of journalists for instance have this you know very big dream of establish our own newspaper later this year to, to try and you know um bridge that gap you know to try and present a very independent um voice but We know that we don't have the money, uh, but even if we had the money, we would be allowed to actually express ourselves, you know, to write the kind of things that we want, to do the kind of journalism that we think, you know, can address, you know, the needs of the people that can champion their rights, can give them voice. So we need to prioritize. Is it governance first? Is it media development? Is it, you know, training? You know, do you? set up a printing press to subsidize you know costs for those who want to you know put up a new newspaper like you know you know, uh, like my group for instance do you uh, do advocacy to try and bring you know the laws that have you know gathered dust on the shelves to actually be implemented to be fully enacted you know w- what are the priorities and I think we need to bring the discussion to that particular point rather than you know bringing up all these, uh, you know, problems. But what about the solutions? What fast, What is more important? Thank you. That's
0: great. Thank you, Sharon. Uh, Emma, did you want a very last contribution from just there, the lady there, Emma Grant?
9: Thanks. Um, Emma Grant from DFID. Uh, we just wanted to congratulate you on the report and, and the, this event. I think it's really useful contribution to the process Um, But when um, you were just going through the four objectives and it struck me reading the report, um, the only reference to gender in the whole report is that gender issues need to be considered carefully. And I think in a a 60, 70 page report, probably a little bit more attention to that would be helpful. And I think in, in terms of meeting the four objectives... I think a focus on gender is absolutely crucial. I think talking to the development community, um, I don't think we would have got through a a whole sort of event like this without gender coming up as quite an important issue in terms of access, well, in terms of all all four objectives. Um, And I'm wondering, I guess I would challenge the panel, do do they agree that gender is something that is typically left out of these media debates? and if so why the only times when I hear it brought up are specifically by uh, organisations, media organisations with a gender focus like gender links thanks
0: well on my part I basically plead guilty I think actually you know. um, Eric we've, we've run out of time but not I've still a bit of time I think five minutes for you to try and sort of skate across some of those things that was raised you can't do with everything but uh, just have a, a crack at that and then we'll wrap
1: uh, <coughs> Thanks um, I'll go very quickly I think uh, a lot of the questions also we can wrap them up around uh, three or four uh, core issues um, Are we working with the communications industry um, You know I don't know who we're working with yet That's the fact um, the, we're, we're, we're trying to evolve a mechanism that hopefully would bring everybody around the table, and that's the challenge we're putting. And we, are, by we, I mean the steering committee of the Africa Media Initiative. The steering committee is putting that as the challenge to the technical team. Come up with ideas around which we can pull everybody to the table. Um, so it's my hope. It's my hope that you know the communications industry would be fully behind this. Um, And, of course, we will be reaching out to them in the next few months because we, you know, this uh, while the technical team is uh, working, there's going to be a lot of advocacy work done by the the committee, the steering committee on the one hand, and uh, something we call the committee of champions who would put this issue, and this addresses the question, I think it was from Miles or somebody, uh, whether the AU, the ECA and so on, we want to put this on the agenda. I, I just told you about a paper I wrote which is making its way and I hope it gets there to the African uh, heads of states who will be meeting in a few days. We want to put this on their agenda. Uh, we want to put this on the agenda of the UN, of, of some United Nations bodies. We have a meeting on the 5th of July in Paris with UNESCO and they are going to take the lead in that direction. So yes, there is, um, we're going to have time to bring everybody around the table. Um, the whole problem of coordination, uh, donor coordination, yes, it's, the, um, it's, it's again what we're trying to, to, to achieve. And it's not just about donors. We want to bring everybody around the table. We want to bring the private sector. We want to bring the academic community because there's a huge part of this problem that has to be addressed by them. You know, the, when I mentioned uh, the issues of uh, training and curriculum and so on, um, the involvement of local journalists, the research was done essentially there. I mean the, and Stephen can address this if he's still around. <coughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, and yeah, I know uh, um, the, uh, uh, we, we, the, the, the research involved was done in many ways. I mean the, they used a uh, whole different methodologies. The uh, stream actually got journalists in Africa across the continent on their computers, responding. So a lot of it was done by email. Um, and a lot of the ideas came through uh, in that. And then they organized, um, they organized regional conferences and then national workshops. So you actually got people, real people, on the ground talking. That's where the ideas came from. Um, the, um, the AMD process involved 17 research, well, research centers in 17 countries. There again, you know, I mean, when I read what came out of Cameroon, I saw a lot of the folks I know who are talking and, and in, in the other countries. So, yes, uh, the local um, journalists were, were very uh, involved in this. The um, Again, on the unified response from donors, again, I'm hoping that we have a mechanism in place that will get everybody around the table. The brain drain, um, you know, I sounded like you uh, a few years ago, you know, the, the passion and the anger and the positive anger, and I, I must congratulate you. I really like that, you know. Um... um can be very frustrating, but you know, I, uh, we all went through that. You know, repeating what the BBC said on the VOA and uh, RFI and all of these fellows. You know, uh, because we didn't have any other sources of information, or because you know we were afraid to be be, be creative and come up with our own version of the news. Um, so it, yeah, it is a problem, and of course, the divide between Anglophone African, Lusophone African. And Anglophone and Francophone Africa, it, it's, um, it's a big problem. You know, and in an age when we're talking about regional integration, I had three groups of journalists from Ghana, Mali, and Burkina Faso, three countries that are geographically contiguous and you know, they're in the same geographical space. And the journalists from Mali had no clue what was going on in Ghana, and there had just been a major shift, in a major political event. They had no clue. And, and when I try to find out why, of course, you know, the language, and, you know, because it's Ghana and we are Burkina Faso, we speak French, they speak English, we don't know who those guys are. So the filter they're using is language. It's, it's critical that we try to uh, uh, break down those barriers. Um, the um, uh, developing communication, which I think you talked about. Yes. I, you know, I said there's a huge gap that needs to be uh, that needs to be reduced. We we can't go on talking. That's why this a taken, everybody has a stake in this. We cannot do development. We can't go on and I've, you know, I'm trying to get the folks in the African Development Bank to understand. We cannot go on doing talking about development when nobody uh, has a clue what we're talking about. Regional integration, big deal. What's that? Two countries next to each other depending on each other because you know uh, most of the goods and services that come in through the ports in Ghana they have to go in through Ghana to get to Burkina Faso and yet there's no dialogue between the two countries. So it's real it's real. Um, we need to reduce that gap in the development dialogue and uh, hopefully we, you know, it's one of the things we're trying to address through this initiative um, the promotion of an independent um, um, journalism you know of uh, it is not going to happen until the private sector has a reason to be involved. We believe, and uh, George, again, I come back to you, you know, my friend who brought me here. Uh, they are now talking to. Should I say this, FIFA? Yeah, okay. Um, you know, uh, he and his group, the uh, you know, the ABN Africa Broadcasting Network, they are talking to FIFA the Africa Union of Broadcasters actually about buying the rights for the 2010 uh, uh, World Cup and, and, and then you know, they take the rights and then they go to the sponsors to the advertisers on behalf of the Africa Union of Broadcasters now they're close to signing this deal and if they do that it's going to strengthen the African Union of Broadcasters it's going to give those, the broadcasters that are members of this association something to hang on to. And the private sector would finally become a player in the process. That's what we're talking about. So we, you know, and th- the only reason FIFA is close to doing this is because they've gone to FIFA with data. We can give you 450 million viewers. That's an amazing start. You know, that got FIFA interested, and it's getting advertisers interested. So we need, that's why it's important that we address this issue of market analysis and so on. Um, I think the, I couldn't agree more with Emma, you know, I, I, I picked this gender thing also, but
11: I, but uh,
3: <laughs> that was because I'm coming from a development
1: perspective, I can tell you that, you know. Um, <laughs> but I didn't think it was a problem because, you know, when we speak, you know, this. when I think, When I think journalism in Africa, I, you know, there are more women, as a matter of fact, in journalism in Africa than men. I don't know if you know that, but it's true. So, in this sector, I don't see the gender problem. I don't see the gender dimension of the problem, but it is real. I I know that.
8: How many editors?
1: Good question. That's it. That's yeah. I think I think you're right. No, no, no. I think it's a very it's a it's a missing. I think we we should regret it and hopefully if something can be done about it. It will be, you know, it has to be done, Charles.
0: Great. Thanks very much, Eric. Listen, thanks very much to everyone uh, for this afternoon, uh, for your attendance and your uh, involvement. Um, Because you've all been so very good, you're all invited to come upstairs and have a drink. Um, (laughs) Where is is it, Laura? It's the senior dining room, which is on the fifth floor. Um, So please, please come upstairs and continue, because it's quite obvious from... That there are too many ideas and too many issues for us to contain within these four walls, including gender, of course. Um, <laughs> but please, can not stay us and continue the dialogue. Thanks very
2: much. Thank you.